good morning. Uh, welcome to Potomac Hills Presbyterian Church. Um, I haven't seen a lot of you in a long time, if you, you don't remember who I am. I'm Kirk Hoffman. I'm uh, one of your deacons, and uh, I'd just like to welcome you to the Worship God this morning. Uh, it is a good day to worship God, as it's every day. Um, a couple, I don't really have a lot of announcements to talk about this morning, but I will remind uh, all of you about some of our safety precautions, and we uh, appreciate you continue to observe them. Uh, reminded that uh, we encourage six-foot distancing between you and people who aren't from your household. Um, everyone's going to be wearing masks during the service, except for the really little kids. And if you don't have a mask, we have them provided in the hallway. Uh, we have hand sanitizer placed throughout the sanctuary. Use that um, uh, frequently, please. And uh, we'll be dismissing by section uh, exits out that door and through the back um, for each side. Uh, there is a nursery set up, so if you have uh, kids ages 0 to 3, um, feel free to use that. That's down the hall that way. Um, and again, just we're so glad to have you join us today, either in person or online. Uh, we're going to, this time, uh, do our call to worship. And uh, I'll be reading the leader section, and you guys read the people. And this is from Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 9. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Be careful to do them, that it may go well with you. That may make multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, and when you walk by the way, and you lie down, and where you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, it is good to be in your house, to worship you to be in your presence. You've sent your son Jesus uh, to be a light to the world and to make a way for us, um, a way for us to be communed with you, to commune directly with the Father. We're so thankful, God, uh, for this place, for these people, for your church, and for our brothers and sisters around the world who are celebrating and praising your name for the glorious work that you've done for us. Hear our voices this morning. May our praise be lifted on high. And may we be, we be singing with the angels. Probably sing in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Would you stand and continue to worship with us? Thank you. 
At this time, we're going to be moving to the confession of, of sin and of assurance of pardon. So I'm going to give each of us um, a moment of silence to privately confess our sins, and then we'll corporately read the assurance of pardon. Let's read our assurance of pardon. Almighty God, you are generous in abundance. You have given to us gifts that we do not deserve. You have called us from death to life, granted us forgiveness through the death and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. You have given us the Holy Spirit and made us your children. You have provided for us both spiritually and materially. Yet you have failed to be thankful and to rejoice in your goodness. We have ignored you and neglected to give you the praise that is due your name. Forgive us for our ingratitude. Give us eyes to see your hand at work in all areas of our life. Enable us to realize that every good thing comes from you. And deepen our gratitude that we might serve you with undivided and joyful hearts. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Please stand as we sing the doxology. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribes said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all heart, and with all understanding, and with all strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far off from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. You may be seated. Thank you. Let's pray. Father God, we come to your word this morning. We come to your word for life. We come to your word to hear your voice. Pray that you would speak through my faltering lips. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, for those of you who uh, may be new to Potomac Hills or uh, haven't, uh, maybe you're listening back in internet land, uh, not familiar with uh, some of our practices here, uh, the ruling elders get to preach uh, about once every two or three years. And so uh, it's my turn. <laughs> so uh, my name is Frank Pugh. Uh, I am one of the ruling elders. Uh, also happen to be a lawyer. I practice law here in Leesburg and have for 30 years. Um, and but when you have a name like Pugh, you you end up being the butt of a lot of jokes. You know, it's just the way life. You grow up. You know, I can remember riding the school bus on the first day of school in the first grade. Coming home after all this teasing, my, I asked my mother, why in the world did you all name me Q? <laughs> well, once, once upon a time, I heard this joke from Alistair Beck this week, there was a man named Odd. Imagine that, growing up with that kind of a name. His name was Odd. He liked me, you know, it was a you're always the, the other end of, of the jokes. And he didn't like it uh, all that much, and, uh, but he grew up and he ended up being a lawyer. And uh, he, um, as he was getting old, he, as he was dying, he requested that his name be not put on the tombstone. All he wanted was the epitaph, here lies an honest lawyer. Well, that's what happened. And they put it on there, and people would come by and visit the cemetery and say, Wow, isn't that odd? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, it's, it's hard to tell whether y'all laughing at this <laughs> But y'all still snore just as loud at those masks. So be, be careful. As, uh, as I wrote in the uh, heart prep, uh, this week uh, for for this passage. Some of y'all may have read it, some of you may not. Uh, this uh, last few months uh, of COVID uh, hibernation has resulted in us watching a lot of reruns. Now, the, the entertainment business has really taken a hit, whether it's uh, movies or theater or sports. It's, uh, so we're Instead of watching live stuff or new releases, we're watching reruns. And, uh, you know, I really, I really get a kick out of watching the, uh, the Nationals win the World Series again over and over. <laughs> but it's not quite the same as when we watched it live. At, uh, and, you know, I remember that when Howie Kendrick hit that home run in the seventh inning to put the Nats' head in the seventh game, I mean, you jumped up out of your seat. Well, I don't do that every runs. <laughs> I know what's coming. Uh, and, and, you know, the more I watch it, it's kind of like diminishing returns, you know. Well, the same kind of thing can happen when we come across familiar Bible passages. 
We know what they're going to say. I mean, look, what's the greatest commandment? That's a Sunday school question, right? And, you know, pipe up and answer the question. Yeah, I know it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you can do the second one. That's the, love your neighbor as yourself. We, we kind of know that. And, uh, but Jesus, when he was speaking to the uh, crowd here, and this uh, guy that asked him these questions, uh, they never heard this before. It was, uh, it was the first, it, they were live. And it's the answer surprised them. And it awed them, and it ended all the questions. So consider this text today as if you were reading it for the first time. I think Jesus answered the question might surprise you. So let's set a little context for our uh, passage today. We're again in, in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 34, which we read a while ago. Uh, the context is last week of Jesus' perfect life, he has uh, come to Jerusalem. He has told and warned his disciples that he's going to Jerusalem to be killed and to rise from the dead. And he comes into town on Palm Sunday riding that mule and uh, all the, the celebratory uh, palms and the you know, hosannas and you know, here's the, here's the the king coming. And he goes back out of town that afternoon. He comes back in the next morning, Monday morning, and he cleans out the temple. We read that story a few weeks ago. And it's, it's, like, uh, it's like Jesus is initiating the conflict with the Jewish authorities that were on hand in town. I mean, he spent three years in on and off conflict with these people. But now he's coming to Jerusalem for the grand finale. And he is loaded for bear. And he overturns the, 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 uh, the temple. And in the next few days, there is this whole series of colloquies and challenges and parables and tests that all center on Jesus' identity and his authority. And you could feel you could feel the tension building as the week progresses. And frankly, to last week, this is probably taking place on Tuesday of Holy Week. There's different authority groups within the Jewish hierarchy that have taken their turns at questioning and testing Jesus. He is immensely popular with the crowds. So they have to be a little careful here, and they're seeking to trap Jesus in his words. And our passage today picks up at the conclusion of a pointed dialogue with the Sadducees regarding the resurrection of the dead. It was the, the, that topic which was covered last week was sort of a hot topic dispute between the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the theological liberals and the theological conservatives of the day. And as, uh, as Frank was reading that passage last week, it came to my mind that this is, that the question that the Sadducees raised about the resurrection of the dead and how many times this woman gets married, that's kind of the Sadducees stump the chump question that they probably throw out there in every debate about the, uh, the resurrection. And the Pharisees have really never come up with a good answer for it. And so uh, you kind of get the, uh, on that issue, Jesus clearly came down on the side of the Pharisees. He chides the Sadducees for their lack of belief in Scripture and in the power of God. So today, we have another common question. Our passage introduces us to a scribe or a lawyer who was eavesdropping on the question last week. He eavesdropped on, the, on Jesus' discussion with the Sadducees over the resurrection. 
Now, the scripture gives us no name for this gentleman. Matthew refers to him as a lawyer. And so I'm going to tend to do that too. Okay? And Matthew says that, that this question that the lawyer asks is intended to be a trap, a test for Jesus. And in Matthew, we don't get any of the follow-up response or conversation between the two of them. Mark describes him as a scribe. And in our passage for Mark, he's much more human and even sympathetic. Uh, the, the answer to the Sadducees' question has aroused true spiritual inquiry on the part of this man. He has observed that Jesus has given an astute answer to the hot topic of the day. So, let's hear what he has to say about another one. The Pharisees, the Pharisees like to kick this question around, too. What's the greatest commandment? So let me just step aside here and kind of give you a, an insight into lawyers for a minute, okay? We have a tendency toward professional snobbery, if you haven't noticed. That's why there's so many jokes about us, right? Uh, there's a, we as lawyers have a certain disdain when, um, when we encounter a layman who tries to speak about our specialties. And this is not true just about lawyers, too. It's generally true about any kind of profession. I mean, right now, the country is filled with amateur epidemiologists, right? <laughs> and when a real epidemiologist encounters one, it's like, yeah, right. And that's kind of the way lawyers feel about laymen sometimes. So the lawyer looks, is looking at Jesus like he's, he's an untrained and self-ordained. But he does give him this grudging respect for having answered the Sadducees so well. And so he comes up with this question. Which is the most important commandment of all? Now it's not just an academic question in some regards. I mean, justice does call for an answer to this in some respects. I mean, we look at it in ourselves. The greater the offense, the greater the punishment that ought to come with an offense like that. And the greater an offense would need a greater sacrifice in the Jewish world. The Jews had broken down the law into 613 commandments, according to several commentators. They're all interrelated, and they're all very complex. And so this question about which one was the greatest was kind of an intramural debate among the Pharisees. One of the commenters, a couple of the commenters, the commentators that I read, noted that in a prior generation, there was a noted rabbi who was asked by a Gentile if he couldn't just sum up the law concisely. In fact, why can't you Jews just sum up the law in a way that you can read it and tell us about it while you're standing on one leg? That's, that's how brief it ought to be, right? And so the answer that the learned rabbi gave was basically his version of the golden rule. It's not a bad answer. But, and so even though our uh, scribe, our lawyer in this, uh, in this passage, has initiated this question, he's really intending for the whole crowd and all the Pharisees and all the Sadducees are still left from the previous question, he's intending for it to be heard. So he asks a common question, but Jesus gives an uncommon answer. It's rather surprising. First, as we've seen in some of the other passages, when Jesus gets these track questions, he often answers a question with a question. He doesn't do that here. He gives a direct answer. He's straightforward. And he begins with what is known as the Shema. Hear, O Israel, from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. 
That word Shema is really the, the Hebrew word here. And that's, that's where the passage comes from. So we read this in our responsive reading. I'm going to read part of it again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The Lord our God is one. The Lord is one. There's no ambiguity here about Jesus' orthodoxy. And there's also no room for agnostics here. Okay? Just saying. This Shema is perhaps the most important Old Testament passage. Observant Jews, like this scribe, would recite the Shema twice a day. They wore it they took this literally, this thing about the frontlets in your eyes. They had these little boxes called phylacteries. And they would put tiny little inscribed pieces of this passage in those little boxes. And they would wear them around their head. So in some respects, the answer to Jesus' question is right, right in front of their eyes, right? They put them on the doorposts everywhere to remind themselves. Who they were and what God's, and really basically of who they were. But the passage was not thought of in terms of a commandment. It's just over familiar. It's not one of the 613. Now, the, the, the scribe, the Pharisees, might have expected the answer to come from the previous chapter in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 5, where the Ten Commandments were, were restated. It's a whole lot easier to keep the law if you just have a list. It's, uh, you go through the forms, and you go through the right, and you check off the boxes, just like the rich young ruler that we read about a few weeks ago. That's what he thought he could do. And when you mess up, well, there's a sacrifice you can make, and you go on your way. And of course, Jesus is quick to add this companion commandment too. Love your neighbor as yourself. That comes from Leviticus. So Jesus could satisfy both the Pharisees and the Sadducees by reciting these commandments from the Torah. Again, love your neighbor as yourself is not one of the 613. The Matthew passage adds that Jesus said, on these two commandments hang the whole law. So you can see how it breaks down a little bit. The first four commandments of the ten are related to that first great commandment, and the second six of the list of ten are, are associated with the second commandment. Martin Luther said, well, how, how do we keep these two great commandments? The answer is, keep the ten. That's how you keep the two, is you keep the ten. In other words, the commandments to love do not nullify the other commandments. They give a framework to understand the other commandments. But Jesus, as usual, is always going deeper. He's going to the heart. And he's revealing things. That's a lot harder than checking off boxes. He's always raising the bar by pointing out how the heart has to be engaged in keeping the commandments. And we know from the Sermon on the Mount, for example, Jesus doesn't let us get away with simply not murdering. The heart of the seventh commandment involves not hating, but actually loving your neighbor. You may not have lynched anybody lately, 
but hatred and anger at those of a different race or merely a different opinion is far too prevalent in our recent national discussion and the follow-up to the George Floyd incident has hit right on it. Jesus doesn't let us get away with simply not committing adultery. The heart of the commandment is not lusting. You may not have had an affair, but did you visit that porn site again? Our recent PCA committee report on human sexuality reminds us that it is our desires, not just acts, that are sinful. So, how are you doing on these commandments this morning? Is your entire heart, mind, soul, and strength engaged in worship today? Or are we just going through the motions? Is your mind racing toward lunch or the activities of the, set of the afternoon? And how are you doing on loving your neighbor thing? Well, for my part, I can't keep these commandments at any five-minute stretch. Calvin put it, the law requires perfect love. We don't yield to it. Our duty was to run. We just go along with it. We get to the place where we, like the Jews, are over-familiar with our Sunday school answer to this question. We regard the commandment to love your love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves, we come to regard them as just mere suggestions or, at best, aspirations. We don't look at these things in terms of commandments that we need to keep. So the, the lawyer gives a commendable reply. He, he says, the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all heart, and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one neighbor as oneself, is more than any burnt offering or sacrifices. His lawyer is open, and he answers reflectively from the heart. He is intellectually honest. And he lays down his professional pride. I think it took some real courage on his part to acknowledge that Jesus was right. Especially in front of all these fellow Jewish leaders that have been openly hostile to him. And of course that hostility to Jesus is only going to get worse. His answer the lawyer's answer shows that he sees something about his own heart in these commandments. And the law of God should always do that to us. It should always be a mirror to our souls. He sees that what Hebrews 10.4 summarizes, the blood of bulls and goats is inadequate. The Jewish law could not atone for this basic understanding of what sin really is. If these are really the commandments of God, if they really summarize the law, then I'm sunk. There is no way that I can sacrifice myself out of this. Now, it's not that God didn't institute the Old Testament sacrificial system, but... It was designed to point us to a greater purpose and foreshadow the need for a true sacrifice. So, like the lawyer, like the other Jewish leaders, and like all people, we are enemies of God, according to Romans 5.10. So how is it that we get from being enemies of God who hate him to loving God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. How does that happen? 
How can we get there? We need a heart change, folks. And that is something that only God himself can do. But David prayed for it. Create in me a clean heart of God and renew a right spirit within me. God promises in Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And in the course of that heart change, when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to cleanse us from our sins and forgive us from our unrighteousness. The only sacrifice that was added to that lawyer and for us was going to be made by Jesus in just the next few days. If we're honest, we know we don't keep those commandments. And that can be very discouraging, but for God's grace in our lives. Sometimes when we have new member interviews, Potomac Hills. A question gets asked, usually by Elder Mark Risk, if he's along. The question is, do you love Jesus? He's not asking about whole heart, mind, soul, strength thing. Just, do you love Jesus? And I haven't heard anybody answer that in the negative. And when Mark's not there, I try to remember to ask him myself. But if you love Jesus, even just a little tiny bit, Mercy Sproul says, that's the work of God in your heart. You can't possibly even do it that much if God hadn't first done the work in your heart. And so that links us to the second commandment. If we love God, we must also love one another. Jesus goes right there in a couple of, uh, on Thursday, two days later, after that, he's with his disciples alone, and he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends, and you are my friends if you do what I command. The old uh, bluegrass song way of saying this is, if you don't love your neighbor, then you don't love God. And so Jesus replies to the man and gives him a commendation. Well, sort of a commendation. Jesus saw that he answered wisely and said to him, you are not far off from the kingdom of God. You're starting to get it, buddy. The road to the kingdom of God starts with seeing our sin. No excuses, no denials, no blaming others, no trying to minimize it. Oh, I'm not that bad. No, it is that bad. These two commandments are like catch-alls. They get every one of us. But Jesus, even though he says you're starting to see it, he's kind of ambiguous too. He did not affirm that the lawyer was in the kingdom, just not far. There's really no indication that this lawyer left everything and followed Jesus like Bartimaeus had done. There's kind of a teaser in it for us, isn't there? And after this, nobody can say anything. They're all speechless. That's it. They're stunned. No more questions, Jesus. I really can't help but wonder how things played out for this guy over the next few days. There definitely seems to be some sort of softening in his heart. But will he trust Jesus? Did he speak up for Jesus during his trial in any way? 
Did he witness the crucifixion? Did he hear about the resurrection? What did he think about the events that happened the rest of that week? Did he come all the way into the kingdom? Did he put his faith in the sacrifice that Jesus made? Does he live by faith? Or was he like the rich young ruler, whom Jesus loved, but went away sad? We don't know. Scripture is silent. I'm going to try to ask to look him up when I get to heaven. So, what about you? How does this play out for you? When you consider these two commandments, See how far short you fall, like this lawyer did? Are you convicted of your sin? And if so, what are you going to do about it? Are you just going to try harder next time? Or will you receive God's grace and mercy as it is freely offered in the gospel? Will you live by faith? Will you trust Jesus? When we do, God changes hearts. Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient. And love, that primary fruit of a changed and regenerated heart, love for God and love for our neighbor, becomes possible. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. We pray that you would change our hearts. Pray that we would, like this lawyer, see ourselves as you, as you see us. And we pray that we would run to you. That we would trust you. That we would love you. That we would see that you don't threaten us, but that you love us. Give us hearts that love you and love our neighbors. In Jesus' name we pray.
Our benediction from Romans chapter 11. Oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Please be seated. Frank will dismiss you.